Well, we're just uh, in a series now on the extravagant love of God. And uh, I want to just do the third in the series. And uh, we're sort of breaking it up into three parts. And uh, so this is the first part. And uh, Jesus was asked, remember in Matthew 22, what's the great commandment? And uh, he said, uh, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength. And uh, then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And on this is everything of God's requirements, the law of love. And so he laid it out. So we're looking at three aspects in three different sections we're going to cover. The first is loving God passionately. And the first we saw was that God is a passionate lover of people. He expresses his love in a whole variety of ways. You may not have experienced it. doesn't mean he hasn't expressed it. And uh, we looked at that and we saw not only that, but we respond to being loved by loving him. And uh, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Our loving God, our passion for God is an overflow of responding to what he's given us with hunger and appreciation and longing for more. And so this part of the, what we're doing is the first part, loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And we covered two, the passionate love of God and loving God with the whole heart. Today I want to speak about <clears throat> keeping yourself in the love of God, keeping yourself in the love of God. And then following that, we're going to look at a couple of messages uh, around loving yourself. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So one of the challenges in loving people, people can be difficult, people can drain us, people can be uh, disappointing, all kinds of things can happen when you work with people. And it's only to be expected, you have all these challenges. But if we're going to move to touching the lives of people and impacting them, we need good foundations. And one of the foundations is a passionate love of God, that we ourselves are continually being fueled with an experience of God's love, His abundance, His care, His, uh, His support, His strength, His wisdom. That we need to have that. And so that's what we're focusing on at this stage. But if we don't have a source, then we'll look for that elsewhere. And so people tend to look to meet the needs that only God can meet. They look for it in other things. And so the source of addictions whether it be pornography or alcohol, gambling, work at workaholism or whatever it is, the source of that is a deep-rooted sense of feeling unloved. So unless that's addressed, the addiction can never be solved. And some people pour out their need to be loved into helping people. And so helping people can be more a means to get my own needs filled than actually overflowing the love of God. And so it's very, very important, one, that we develop a vital spiritual life so we have inner resourcing to be able to accomplish things for God. And two, that we have a proper value on ourself. Neither at the one end, so self-centered, everything's about us and what we can get. Nor at the other end, we have such little value on ourself that people walk over us. We're exploited, taken advantage of, and we burn out. Burning out is the consequence of being unable to set good boundaries that define who you are and, and recognize what you can give. So we'll look at that in, a, in another session. So I want to finish the first of the three on loving God wholeheartedly. We started the whole passionate love of God. Now I want to look at keeping yourself in the love of God. Now, so we need to, just a few things as we talk about the love of God. First thing is, it's the nature of God to love. It's his nature. That's who he is. And heaven, heaven is filled with love. It's an atmosphere. It's a spiritual reality. It's the life of God 
when it manifests itself, people feel embraced and celebrated and loved. For example, if you go into a, into a place where there's people, you can feel the atmosphere. If you are not welcome, you feel you're not welcome in lots of little ways. But when you go to a place where you're celebrated and welcomed and affirmed and gathered up, you feel something come around you, you feel welcome. There's an environment that nurtures your connecting. And so in heaven, there's a spiritual environment full of the love of God. Trouble is that's in heaven. We need it here. And so to get it here requires that we learn how to receive and bring that life to, to, to into the world around us. And firstly, you've got to receive it for yourself. You can't give someone what you don't have. I've been in meetings where people have been uh, touched by the power of God set free, uh, particularly our, our uh, freedom seminar, uh, where I've done in Bible schools, we've been there for a while, or we've done seminars here, or even in Lynn's Restoration Seminar. And then there's always a part where suddenly the place becomes filled with the atmosphere of God's love. And it's a spiritual reality, and you, you, people just cry. They just feel so touched on the inside. They, they feel love. They feel alive. I've been in some meetings where people, the atmosphere of God's love was so thick, no one said a word nor moved. They just sat weeping, feeling the love of God. It's a spiritual reality. Now, you may not have had much. You may not know how to access it, but it is available for you, as we'll see today. It's our responsibility to learn how to access it. Now, we're just going to have a look into Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. <clears throat> and I want to just read two or three verses here. And uh, it says now, verse 16, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might through his spirit in the inner man. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers. That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now notice what he's praying. He's praying the end result that believers would be filled with God. Isn't that interesting? Filled with God. And he says a key to it is being strengthened in your inner man, in your spirit man, by the Holy Spirit, and being rooted and grounded in the love of God. So the love of God is a, like a soil within which a healthy spiritual life grows. The love of God is a, is a foundation upon which you can build a strong life that can touch the lives of others. So love of God is very, very tangible. When God's love manifests, it's tangible, it can be felt and experienced. Love of God is also incredibly practical. God so loved, He gave His Son. And we read the life of Jesus, that's the practical love of God. Meeting needs, touching people, entering people's lives, developing and calling forth the potential of people, and finally sacrificing his life for every person. That is tangible, absolutely tangible. So there's a spiritual dimension to it, the manifest reality of God's presence, and then there's also an incredibly practical dimension to it. You can't have one without the other. They both go together. Now notice here it says being rooted and grounded in love. The word rooted means to become stable or to have deep roots like a big, big tree going right down into the ground. 
And so if you've ever seen a little tree and the wind that gets blown over, see a big tree and it stands strong in the storm, it's usually got an extensive root system, lots of little wee things that have gone down. And so it's saying that our life needs to be like that, internally rooted or drawing from the love of God. And it uses another word to create a different picture, a picture of a building going up, and the thing that makes a building stable is a foundation. And so you don't see the foundation, but it supports the building. It said, uh, founded or built upon a strong foundation, the love of God. So what he's speaking of in here is that for us to manifest the life of God, we have to deepen, strengthen the foundations and root systems of our inner life, your connection with the Lord. How that outworks, of course, is quite simple. We'll share with you about that. But it does open us up to start to think, well, how can I get deeper rooted in God? And how can I strengthen that? See? This is a core thing in the Christian life, is your personal access to being loved, valued, and spoken to and affirmed by God himself. That was what motivated Jesus' ministry in life. Paul said that's what motivated him in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, he says, the love of Christ motivates me or compels me to go out and do things. He had such a passion, burning love of God in his life, it moved him to do incredible things. I'll share with you a little bit about that tonight. And so let's have a look at another verse. Why don't you look with me in Jude verse 20, just before Revelation. Jude in verse 20. The little wee hook right at the back there. You can just about miss it if you don't know where it is. Jude, Jude, verse 20. It's only got one chapter. And I want us to read verse 20, 21. Now you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Notice what it tells us now. It says, keep yourself in the love of God, implying no one can do this for you. This is your responsibility, is to discover, nurture, and hold on to the reality that you are loved and valued by God. If we don't do that, we will look for substitutes or be overwhelmed by lacks and problems and issues. It's something we're responsible. Notice it says, you do it. You keep yourself in the love of God. Keep means to guard from being taken away or losing something, to guard yourself or Literally, it means focus your attention on this so it doesn't get taken away from you. Now, that's an extraordinary statement because the Bible says the love of God is unchangeable. God doesn't change. Today, He loves you as much as He loved you yesterday, and He'll love you the same tomorrow. He is unchangeable in His love, but our positioning to receive and to walk in the reality of it can change. We can feel very close or very far. We can be enjoying that love or we can be missing that love. We can be longing for it, or we can be overflowing with it. And if you're longing for it, that's a thirst inside you that you're going to have to fill somewhere. And as Jesus spoke to the woman in the well, she filled that thirst for being loved with ungodly relationships and with trying to desperately find some man that would meet the need in her life. All of us are designed to have this thirst met through relationship with God. So that raises a number of questions. Here's the first one. How can I experience the love of God? What can take my awareness of that away? What have I got to watch out for that would steal that from me? And then how can I keep myself in the love of God? 
when you're reading Scripture, it always helps you to ask questions. So first thing I want to look at is just the area of how can I experience the love of God? Or can I experience the love of God? What is involved in that? And I want to share with you just a passage that will just help. And it's found in John chapter 17. And uh, there are two things I want to draw your attention to that are quite vital in helping us come to grips with being loved as a person by God. Then we'll look at some of the things that, 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 struggle, that we struggle against sometimes. Let's read in John 17. And this is Jesus' last prayer as he finished his ministry. Uh, I do not pray. Verse 20, he's praying for the believers. I don't pray for these ones, my disciples alone, but for everyone who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for us. You're a follower of Christ. Now here's what he's praying, that they all may be one as you, Father, and me, and I and you, that they may be one in us, so that, there's the outcome, the world may believe you sent me, and the glory you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, we may be perfect and one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those whom you have given me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory you have given me, for you love me from before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with you and love me may be in them, and I in them. And when you look at it initially, it's, it's just not easy to get to grips with it. There's a lot of things that Jesus says there, and uh, that's recorded. But I want to pull it apart and just bring out some very simple things in it. Jesus is praying, and he's concerned not just about his disciples, he's concerned about every person who would believe in him because of the disciples' mission. In other words, us. And he's really praying two things. Number one, that the disciples, the believers, would experience intimacy and the love of God. That's his prayer. You would experience the love of God for yourself. That's the first thing. The second thing is that his followers would express the love of God in such a way to one another that there would be unity in the church and that people would see how they love one another and would recognize only God could do something like this. In other words, notice what he's doing. He's saying his prayer is that believers would experience love, not just know about it, but to feel, experience it in such a way it would change how we relate to one another, that the outcome would be unity and connectedness to one another and a love for one another that is visible, that people can see and say, man, God has got to be here. Look at what's happening in these people's lives. That's his prayer. Experiencing it and expressing it. Okay? And he, it's virtually the core of the law, isn't it? Eh? That you love the Lord your God and experience his love, and also you love the people that you can see. So that's the core of what he's doing. So how do believers experience such a love that impacts them and unites them, and then they begin to overflow. How do you do that? So he, he says there are two aspects to that. And I want to just look at the two aspects of it, then we'll make it down very, very practical. So I want to go in and first of all look at the second aspect. And the second aspect, which is mentioned here, uh, is this. You notice what he says, uh, verse 26, I have declared to them your name. I have revealed what you are like, and will continue to reveal what you are like. And here's what the outcome of me revealing what the Father is like, that the love that you have for me will also be in them. So the very same 
relationship Jesus had with his father, the very same love that sustained him in every adversity, he wants you to have it. And he said the way it comes is by it being revealed to you. You can't have something you don't know about. So he says, I have made your name known, or literally, I have revealed what you are like. So how does Jesus reveal what God is like and continue to reveal what God is like? Simply through three main ways. And one way that Jesus has revealed what God is like is just through creation. The Bible tells us Jesus created all things. So when you go out into creation, you get alone and away from all the busyness, and you take a few moments of solitude, and you look at maybe the universe, the sky, the stars, you look at the sea, there's no one doesn't, you become aware of how vast and great God is, and yet he's interested in you. So creation itself tells us, what an awesome, amazing, incredible God, and I'm connected to him. The second thing is, uh, is about the life of Jesus. Jesus' own words reveal what God is like. So if you want to know what God is like, you've got to look at the life of Jesus Christ and become connected to him. So the first way that we experience the love of God is by developing an ongoing personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That means that we see what he's made and appreciate it, that we listen and read his words and we begin to dwell on them and let them change the way we view life, and that we draw from his life and, and what he, he did to others reveals to us something about what God's like. For example, how did Jesus handle an adulteress? Well, look at what he did to the leper. How did Jesus handle the woman at the well? How did Jesus handle people? That's what God is like. So if I read the word of God and begin to study the life of Jesus and open myself to him, then I begin to start to access the life that God has through personal relationship. There are some other way. There's another way too. And notice what he says here in verse 22. Now, I'm going to make this very practical soon. He says, now notice this. He said, the glory you gave me, I have given them that they may be one. Then verse 23, the world may know you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, notice here, he says that I have not only made you known through life and teaching or whatever, I've also given to them the same glory you gave me. Well, I wonder what that means, and I wonder when he got it. And you've got to ask questions of Scripture, otherwise you sort of read it, and it doesn't impact your life. So he said, the glory you, that's the Father, gave me. Remember, he left everything behind when he came to earth. The glory you gave me, I have given it to them. And the purpose of it is to unite them so that they may experience your love, and people will obviously see it. So he says, so here are the two things. One is the, the personal life of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. The second one is this one here. It is prayer and open, openness to the Holy Spirit revealing God to us. Openness to the glory of God, whatever all that means. So if I encounter or experience the glory of God, it changes me. I begin to feel touched by the very character of God, the very life of God. I begin to experience the very love of God the same way Jesus did, and that changes me. Just as building relationship with Jesus, getting into his word and seeing his patterns of life and teaching and applying them to my life also do that. So both things are to accomplish the same end. Having an experience of the glory of God, whatever that all means, 
And secondly, studying the life and ministry and accessing Jesus by faith and allowing his life to begin to become the pattern we build our life on. Those things make possible for us to experience the love of God. Now, here's a question then. The glory you gave me, when did he receive that glory? And what did it look like? I like to know, because he said it's for you and for me. So the answers are found in Scripture. You've got to compare one Scripture with another. So if you look in 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, it tells us when that happened. 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, it tells us when it happened. And then in uh, Matthew, it tells us what actually happened. Verse 16, 2 Peter 1 and verse 16, sorry. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of the majesty of what he will be like when he comes again. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When did he get it? When there came a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with them on the holy mountain. I won't go into this too much, but just pick up the, the, the obvious here that he received glory from the Father when he was in the mountain, when he heard the voice. So if I can come into such an experience and hear the same thing, then I can have an impartation of the glory, goodness, character, life of God. It tells us when he got it. And when we go and look at it, we see what he got. And we have right and privilege to access that ourselves. Okay, let's have a look in Matthew chapter 17. Now, in, in 2 Peter, Peter was describing what he experienced. We're going to read what he experienced. And he said, we experienced what it will be like. We saw what it will be like when Jesus comes again. We saw what he will look like. Now, what is he describing? He's describing what happened in Matthew 17. After six days, he took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up the high mountain by themselves. Verse 2, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Now, just stop there. As he was praying, it tells us in Luke, he began to change. Something in him began to, like a light bulb brightening up, began to rise and began to glow until there was like there was light shining out of him. He totally was changed. Everything about him radiated life and light and power. Now this is Jesus in a human body like yours. So what was the hidden life inside? It was the spirit of glory. It was the Holy Ghost. It's the same spirit given to you. It's the same spirit that will, that will quicken your body and raise you from the dead. That same spirit was in him. But at that particular uh, situation, the Spirit of God began to radiate forth. It's like the light breaking through the cloud of covering and showing what was really inside him. It says, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. In other words, you can't tell looking at us now what we're going to be like. But when he comes, we shall be like him. That same life, that same Holy Ghost, that same glory inside you. So there's a glory God has imparted in you when you receive the Holy Spirit and all the virtues of God are in that inner joining with God. You have to build your inner life if you want to be filled with the life, the energy, the vitality, the revelation of God. You build your inner life through prayer and other things I'll share with you shortly. Okay, now if we go down, there was something else happened. 
So not only did he shine like someone flicked the lights on inside, but something else happened. It says, verse 5, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Let's stop. Now this is a different manifestation of glory. This is God's glory coming down upon now, what it, when we look at it, you see bright cloud. Well, most people then think of a nice sunny day, and there's a cloud up there, and it was shiny bright. That's it. That's about all we get. Does that be right? How many thought that when you read that? Oh, it was a bright cloud. Okay. It was a, I guess it was a bit sort of a cloud. Now, of course, the thing is, well, you know, we've all gone over to Taupo and climbed up the mountain there, and as you go up there, then you come into the clouds and you get down the other side. So we kind of think, well, it's a bit of that with some sun on it. Now, it's nothing like that. This was not a natural cloud. This was a cloud, a manifestation, visibly tangible. It's a visible manifestation of God. That word there it, where it says bright cloud, that word means literally to emanate out rays of light, brilliant shimmering rays of light filled with gold. It was a manifestation of God himself. But notice this. It says, out of that cloud came some words. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Now notice this. The glory that God has given Jesus Christ, the Father gave Jesus Christ, He wants us to have. So how do we have it and what does it do? Well, first, He puts His Spirit, the Spirit of glory inside us, to begin to renovate us and illuminate us on the inside. And one day it will come to its fullness. Also, we can experience God. And we can, when we experience God, now he experienced a tangible glory of God. Same as they had in the Old Testament, which came down inside the tabernacle. I've heard reports in meetings around the world at times of like a mist, a shimmering mist, something coming into the house of God. The glory. But here's the bit I want to draw your attention to. It's what he said, he received glory when he heard the voice. See, so what did he get when he heard the voice? Now, this is the bit he got. Otherwise, you get caught up in all the manifestations of shimmering lights and lightnings and stuff like that. This is what he got. He got words. He got words that were powerful, spirit-filled, energizing words that formed a part of the foundation of his life. Notice what he heard. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He got words of identity. Who I am. Now, most people, who I am is measured by what I own and who likes me and what positions I have. But we're to measure, our identity is to come out of what God says about us. I am child of God, born again by the Spirit of God. God is my Father. Who am I? I'm a child of God. You've got to be able to answer that. And notice the second thing is, my beloved son, I belong to him. My, my my beloved, you and I need to hear God say, you're my beloved. You belong to me. I belong to you. You're loved and valued. That imparts to us the things we can't get enough of in the world. See? And then the final thing it says, I'm well pleased. Words of affirmation, how valuable I am. Now, people starve for these things. People starve because we don't know. They starve spiritually and emotionally. 
because we are not sure of who we are, we become insecure, because we're not sure whose we are or who we belong to. We, we feel uncertainty about who we are and what we have. If we don't know how valuable we are and God, we don't receive from God, then we're going to look for it somewhere else. Look for it in your job. You look for it in a position. Look for it in possessions. We look for something to meet these core needs. But the glory God gives us is the glory of being a son of God, of having access to a father who is an eternal father. He's got great plans for his family. What a privilege. What a privilege to have these things. Eh? How do I get into that? I have to pray and pursue God. Jesus went up on the mountain and pursued his father, and out of pursuit, he experienced what the father had for him. I guess we'll have it the same way. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal God's glory, God's goodness, God's love. So the Holy Spirit comes in, you have an anointing within, you have to learn to grow internally in your capacity to carry and be sensitive to the anointing of the Spirit of God. And you have to learn how to pray in such a way that you begin to encounter His experience. But ultimately it comes down that you have revelation to your heart that reassures you, strengthens you, gives you vitality as a loved, vital, important person with something to contribute to this world. You're unique. I've got a, a tremendous, I've got about three or four clips of a, of a guy, a Christian guy, I'm going to show one of them tonight, who was born with no limbs. And he wrestled continually with feeling he's of no value and he couldn't do this and he couldn't do that and he couldn't do whatever until he got perspective in Christ and saw there's no limits for me unless I decide there's limits. So now he supports 60 orphans himself, travels the world. He's got no arms and no legs. I'll show a little clip on him tonight, and uh, you'll hear a little bit about just the spirit of the man. I'm so impressed with that man. See, he can swim. He can do all kinds of stuff. And I saw him there, video clip of him walking down one of the streets with distressed people, and he's got a mission out there to preach all around the world. He said, I've got a dream in my heart to do these great things. There's no limits. He's, going to, he's writing a book at the moment called No Arms, No Legs, No Limits. Don't you like that? But he got revelation of his value to God and arose inside. He was able to do great things, just like Jesus. He had a revelation of who he was. He was able to rise up and do great things. Okay, so now, so if, if the... The knowledge of the love of God comes by revelation and by connecting to and studying and focusing my life around the kind of person Jesus was, then what will take away the love of God, the awareness or consciousness of His presence? There are several things. In Jude 20, it says, keep yourself in the love of God. Now, why do I have to guard or protect or watch over this area of encountering, experiencing, and walking in the love of God? Very simply, there's an enemy who wants to keep me from it. The foundation for our life, the foundation uh, for our walk with God, and to be able to make an impact is to know we're loved. Now, what can take it away? Well, very simple. The devil brings spiritual pressure around us. He puts pressure on you either intermittently in seasons or constantly. Some of you today may be under tremendous pressure. Now, how, does this, how do evil spirits bring pressure around us? What happens inside us? 
What goes on? How could I know that I'm under attack and that there's every chance if I lose my focus that I'm loved by God and come into that and don't come into that experience of Him, I'll go off track. Several things. Number one is uh, constant feelings that go like this. I'm not good enough. I don't feel good enough. How many people have had some of those feelings? Huh? Right. Well, that's a spiritual pressure to cause you to feel not good enough so you let go of being loved by God and don't go there for him to meet that need. He says, you're good enough for me based on the work I, my son did. Loneliness and isolation is another consequence. Another, uh, feelings of loneliness and isolation are very common, but that's a result of a spiritual pressure that comes around us to disconnect us and cause us to feel there's, God isn't near me, people aren't near me, no one loves me. And it's a terrible place to get steals away revelation of the love of God. You've got to guard against isolation and loneliness as a place for quietness and being alone with God and uh, having time of solitude. But uh, we're talking about the feelings of being alone uh, and not wanted. Awareness of personal lacks. How many of you have struggled with awareness, an overwhelming sense that I lack? It's, then this is a pressure comes around you to get your mind so it shifts away. Actually, all that God called me to do, I can do it. Everything I need, I have. All I've got to do is to trust Him and engage with life. But when you're obsessed with your lacks, you withdraw and you go be below your limits. Another way the enemy presses us is nagging accusations. Continued accusations, pointing out your faults, what's wrong, this and that, and what you did. And, that. And, and, and when that stuff comes around you, it pressures you so you don't feel as though you're loved by God. So you draw back from fellowship and everything else. These things have to be overcome. Temptations to find a substitute. So most temptation is around finding a substitute for the reality of a connection with God. That's all it is. This will fix you quick. But after it's fixed you up, then you feel bad again, you need more, and you feel guilty as well. See, so none of the things that uh, are at the other end of sin can satisfy us. Pleasures of sin only last a season. Feels good, then you feel bad. See, so stirring up wrong beliefs inside us. So all of these are things that happen. They come around. Now, the reality is I experience all of those like you do. All of those things, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of lack, feelings of loneliness. Feelings of, I mean, I go through the whole deal of all these things. But I've learned that there are some things you can do that will get you so you can subdue those attacks of the enemy and keep repositioning yourself to be filled again by the Lord. Now, the thing is, no one's going to do it for me just like no one's going to do it for you. You have to decide to do this for yourself. You do have a real devil, and he is committed to sabotage your whole life and your destiny. It's your responsibility to learn how to access God regularly so that the inner tank of His love is filled and you have a security in your life. I know people, they're just workaholics. You know what a workaholic is? It's just it's the same as an alcoholic. Absolutely destructive to their, their marriage, their family, their loved ones. It's the same deal. It's just an aholic. They're sexaholics as well. There's all kinds of all kinds, sportsaholics. Basically, it's an addiction to a substitute because I can't stand the pain of what's going really on inside me of feeling so terribly unloved. That's at the core of it all. It is at the core of it all. 
so you can tell someone to have balance in their life but if they've got a driving need to be loved and they think it's going to be in their work they'll never stop working like crazy and long after they've just ruined everything around them and they're still driven by what they still can't see what they're doing like a person drinking can't see what they're doing a person gambling can't see what they're doing until their world falls apart but it's a substitute for the reality of God's love in a personal relationship leading to a balance in life because you're not driven anymore. Any idea? I've got all quiet. I know I'm talking to someone next to you. Okay, so how can I keep myself in the love of God? Let me just give you a few, just some practical things because you need to, we need to just get some simple keys. How can I keep myself in the love of God? Well, you notice that in Jude 20, the whole environment for keeping yourself in the love of God is an environment of prayer. Prayer is the key factor in it. Notice praying in the Holy Ghost, building up yourself in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Prayer in the Holy Ghost is to energize our spirit man. But there's some things we also need to do. Here's number one. Number one is we need to constantly expect and anticipate and welcome God's mercy and forgiveness. Looking for the mercy of God. Looking for it. Expecting it. Now, a lot of people when they fail don't expect God. They don't think they don't deserve it. Okay? I don't deserve that mercy. Well, God gives it to you whether you deserve it or not. See? So God is wanting you to believe, and if you blow it and fall over, quickly get up, quickly come back, expect mercy, get it over and done with, move on. See? So if I want to keep myself in the love of God, I've got to deal with failures and mistakes and errors and just humbly admit they're there, confess them to the Lord, put it right, and then move on. Don't beat yourself up for the lacks and failures. Stop doing that. That's not how you keep yourself in the love of God. Beating yourself up all the time because there's this and that wrong with you. Just get over it because God has at the cross of Calvary. Okay? So the second thing is, you need to meditate in the love of God. You need to take time to allow your thoughts and your mind to center around and focus on the person of God and how much he loves you. So you need to picture it in a very real way. Use your spiritual imagination and allow your life to meditate on scriptures until your mind, see what your mind meditates on, you'll begin to become aware of and you begin to feel. Thoughts and feelings are very closely connected. We talk about food right now and I describe some food to you. Very soon you'll start to feel incredibly hungry. That's all you'll be able to think about. Because as your mind fills with thoughts and they become like pictures in you, then emotions start to come and then your, even your body starts to respond. See, so meditation, consciously using my imagination to dwell on, embrace, and see the love of God very tangibly, the person of Jesus Christ welcoming me, loving me, and to meditate on that, to see it over and over, to imagine how it feels, to just ponder the truth of it, and, and do it regularly. Now, you only have to do it just in moments through the day. Take a minute break and stop, just quieten down, just take a moment to become still and silent, become conscious, God is with me. Now, initially, that may take some discipline because many minds are so busy, but it's a discipline to train your inner life to just refocus and center back on the love of God, the person of Jesus Christ. See, so you meditate. You, you repeat that over and over. So I constantly go back, Jesus is my source. Go back to become conscious, I'm loved. He values me. Thank you, Lord. Begin to dwell on that. I become to become aware of his presence again. And you see, it's a discipline inside. Now, most people want to fill their outside world with stuff to satisfy the inner needs. But 
if we will build our inner life, our outside world will change. Consciously, as you change on the inside, things around you change as well. So we have the musicians now. Here's another thing we need to do, is manage your emotions and your thoughts. Now your thoughts and emotions go together. So thoughts that aren't right, quickly address them because they'll lead to emotions and feelings and old ways. You know, you think about someone, the injustice someone did you, you'll start to feel angry. You begin to think about uh, how much you lack and how much trouble you have and you start to feel sorry for yourself. You, you, you have a choice what you'll set your thoughts on. And we have to choose to think the things that are good. If you start to allow your mind to go to all the things you have to do, you start to become, feel anxious and divided and you lose consciousness that God is with you. Here's another thing. I'll give you a couple of other things. They're, quite, they're also quite simple. So those are all internal things. Consciously and quickly expecting God to forgive me, rushing back into his presence when I've blown it, meditating on his love and dwelling on that, beginning to build an awareness that God is with me, disciplining thoughts and emotions. Those are all very, very simple things you can do. And there's a couple of other ways we can actually experience the love of God. One of the ways is learn to receive from other people. Jesus also lives in a body of people. And so he calls us to love one another. And sometimes people feel so far from God that what they need is someone who can represent God to them. Someone who can actually, it's like God in a skin coming to them. And we need to be able to open ourselves to receive being loved, valued, and supported by other believers. Oh, well, I'd rather go alone with God. No, 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 we're not called to go alone with God. One of the evidences that the glory of God is growing in our life and that, and that we're becoming stable in love is we begin to engage people and connect with people. Why is that? We'll see that just in a moment. See? So God reveals his love through people sometimes. I remember in my first year teaching how I was just absolutely desperate. I really, it was really not going good for me. And I got to the end of myself one day and said, that's it, Lord. I've had enough of this. This just sucks. I'm out of here. And uh, so I'm going to put in a resignation. We'll leave and go somewhere by a beach where I can fish like I always wanted to anyway. And uh, I got the place in mind. I got the magazine out. I had to have a look at it and see the job away up there and up there, Walkworth Way. I could just see myself a picture there at the beach out there. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Don't go there. And uh, maybe for a holiday, you know. And anyway, and I said, but, but Lord, you know, you brought us here. And so if, you, if I'm in a chef well, you've got to help me out here to keep me here. So I'm out of here unless you help me. What I want you to do is send someone to help me, strengthen me and support me, encourage me. You know, I, I, I hadn't even finished. I don't even know whether I prayed it out loud or just thought it out loud. But anyway, whatever it was, there was a knock at the door as soon as I finished. I couldn't believe it. Who the heck could be coming here? It's the middle of the day. I'm home. No one expects me home. And it was my pastor. He said, I felt God put on my heart to come around and see you like you needed encouragement. I come to pray for you. And I thought, oh, I just, you know what I did? I just cried like a baby. <laughs> now, I received the love of God through a person, and it strengthened me. So don't just think you go it alone and get it all from God. None of us goes it that way. Even Jesus said to his disciples, come and join me. This is a very difficult hour for me. Come and join me in prayer. I really would like your support. Now, people... Don't give us everything, and they do fail us, and they don't come up when we expect, but they nevertheless are a, they're a way God brings his love to us. Don't underestimate how God can love you through people. One man, I probably shared the story, it's still a good one to tell. I won first year pastoring, and this one of the young men in the church had 
sec, uh, he'd had a, a, a boy who was a bit older. We used to play with our kids and uh, play with Peter. And then he had a baby. And we were so excited about the baby. And then three months later, I got a call in the night. He said, our baby just died. I couldn't even believe what I was hearing. How could a baby die? I mean, well, how could a baby die? I didn't know anything in those days. And uh, I, I went out there in the car to see him. And, and uh, I went to see him. And oh, God, what do I say? I don't know what to say. How do I pray? I didn't know what to do. And, and the Lord said, don't say anything. I want you just to go to him and hug him. And as I went to him, I began to think, I wonder what he's going through, and began to think of my own children as I was going there. And I began to start to feel what it would be like to lose a child. And I went there, and, and uh, I, I got to the house, and he saw the car pull up because the lights were on, so on. And so he came out to see me. And I went over to him. He came, we walked together. I still remember as clear as it was yesterday. Put my arms around him, and I just hugged him, and we both cried. And I don't know what else to say. We just got our way through it the best we could. And and got through the service and everything. And years later, he told me, all my life, I've been so shut down, I never was ever able to experience being loved. But that day, when you said nothing and just hugged me, I felt the love of God for the first time. And he cried. It changed his life. He became trained later and became a pastor. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Just the love of God. So it's got a very spiritual dimension to it, and it's got an incredibly practical part to it as well. I can remember one time, we're in a very low in our life and ministry, and I've been through tremendous stress and pressure, and we went away for a, a break and holiday, and I, just, I didn't actually have enough money to get back. And I said, well, I'm going, Lord. If you want me back, you've got to provide the dough. That's it. So I'm out of here. And uh, so I went there, and we were looked after up in, uh, up in a camp up in Wangarei. And... Uh, Anyway, one night someone said, hey, why don't you come around for a meal? I said, that sounds pretty good. And uh, so we'll come around. And we got around their place. He said, well, actually, it's a surprise. And we're not, you're not coming with us. There's something else we've got in mind. It's a surprise. So, oh, it's fantastic. So uh, they said, well, follow these directions to this house. Oh, wow, that's mysterious. Followed these directions to this house and got to this house. And there were lights on. And we came in and the door was open. And there was a sign up, welcome, Mike and Joy. I thought, well, that's unusual. Uh, I guess that means we should come. Knocked on the door. There's no one answers. We came in and, and there's music and the soft lights and this table set for two people and there's a meal laid out and we had a note saying with a scripture of encouragement saying we'll come and we'll give you coffee later on at 9.30 we want you just to enjoy the meal the Lord's provided for you both so the, the practical they said later on they said God has put into our heart to help couples under stress by just putting on a special meal. And he said, the only condition is you can't tell anyone who we are. And we sat at the table and just wept that someone we didn't know cared for us. And we knew that past that and beyond that, it was God showing his love through someone. So let's over-spiritualize. We are all people. And we need the love of God through one another as well as through personal encounter. And sometimes when you can't get it through personal encounter, it comes the other way. God loves us. And we can become a community that love people. That brings us the last one. If we want to keep in the love of God, we have to practice loving people. John 14 tells us that Jesus said, If you love me, you keep my commandments. And here's the one. I'm commanding you to love one another. You say, Oh, Lord. 
He said, well, if you'll do this, my love will abide with you. We'll manifest ourselves. He said, well, how? Whoa. Well, love one another. That's not so easy, Lord. You know, some people are pretty, not, pretty nasty, not very nice. He said, well, you know, he said, you know, when you love, you'll, you'll learn to forgive them. How are you going to learn to forgive? Because love forgives. I'm going to send some people, and you get, they're going to offend you and upset you, and you've got a chance to learn what real love is and to grow in forgiveness. And there'll be some people upset you, and, and uh, you'll get irritated, and it'll be a chance for you to grow in patience. And there'll be some people, and they don't deserve anything, and, and you'll give them kindness, and you'll learn what it is to grow in kindness. So it's impossible to grow mature in love without some people to practice on. And so Jesus' revelation that we could experience the love of the Father is deeply connected to our relating with people and overflowing and interacting with them. You just can't have one without the other. So right now, just as we finish, let's just close our eyes. I want to just uh, bring your attention around one of the greatest, the most practical gifts of all, and I'm just going to just get you to, it'll take about one and a half minutes and then we'll finish. I want you just to meditate for a moment on how great you are loved by God, how valuable you are. The Bible says, see what manner of love the Father has. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I want you just for a moment just to allow your mind, if you can focus for a few minutes more, allow your imagination just to picture what I describe. And as you picture it, allow your heart to arise in response. I want us just for a moment to just travel back in time, 2,000 years, to a small place, a hill outside Jerusalem, where there was a man crucified because he loved you. As you kneel on the rocky hard place and look down, you can see how they've dug a hole out on the ground and the post, the wooden post that he's hanging on has been inserted in the ground and some rocks pushed into it to keep it stable. You see the dark stain in the dust. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for you because he loves you. As you look up, you look at the cross, you can see the blood running down it, freshly running down it, still running down it. This blood was for you to cleanse you of every failure, every mistake, and make you perfectly acceptable to the Father in heaven. As you lift your eyes a little more, you can see his feet. Huge spikes, spiking them to the cross. So he can't move them, and if he tries to move them, nerves to shriek with pain. His blood was for you. Begin to look up his body, his legs, and to his torso. You realize that a cruel whip of a Roman soldier has literally lacerated and torn deep wells, deep gashes in his legs, his back, and his sides stripped the flesh off and cut it right open some places to the bone. And he did this because he loved you and me. This blood was for you. As you look towards his arms, you can see huge spikes 
holding his wrists to the, to the cross. Right through the nervous area. And of course, in that position, he has stomach, he has cramps in his body, and so he has to pull himself up on those spikes to try and breathe and then drop back down again. So it goes on for hours, terrible agonizing pain, struggling to breathe, and gradually the lungs filling with water and blood. This was for you because he loves you. You can't get more tangible than that. As you look at, the at his head, you see a crown of thorns, huge, deep, long spikes beaten in. And you can remember when you had a little prickle and how that hurt. What must this be like? The mockery, the abuse, the hurt, the pain. And as you look in his eyes, there's no accusation, no condemnation. Father, forgive them. They didn't know when they sinned what it would cost to redeem them. how much he loves you. God so loved you. He gave his only son, Jesus Christ. He practically and willingly gave up his life on the cross so you could be joined back in relationship to God, discover that relationship with all its depths, discover the purpose God has for your life, and live a life rooted in the love of God for you. If God was willing to do that for us when we didn't even know Christ and walked in hardness of heart and sin, how much more now would he give you everything you need? Father, release your love, a revelation of your presence and love into the heart of this church, that it will overflow in love and unity for one another, it will overflow to connect with our community in a greater dimension. Just while our eyes are closed,